What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Welcome back to The Call Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars in Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. And in today's episode, we have an awesome crossover with one of my favorites in the industry. If you've listened to the podcast, you've heard from this guy plenty. If you listen to this podcast, you probably read plenty of his work because he's one of the best in the biz. It's Jeff Ponce, prospect writer at Baseball America. I mean, we've... We've had you on since it was locked on prospects now, you know, uh, as the call up and man, you've, you're one of my favorite guys to have on. And I know you guys just put a ton of work in on your top 100 list. It's not really an update. I guess it's now the top 100 list for 2023. I always just want to say update every time, but eventually it's just a new list. This qualifies as a new list and congratulations on, on putting it out. I know that's got to be a big weight off the shoulders. And for those that want to check it out, link is in the description, but we're going to kind of walk through it and break it down. So thanks for coming on, Jeff. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I'm uh, excited to be on. And you know, you're also one of my favorite people to jump on and talk with, get some meals. We've gotten meals in multiple States now, beach destinations at that. We only meet in like great places to go on vacation. <laughs> I know, which is, which is Jupiter after the backfield games back in the spring. And then uh, we got some barbecue on Cape Cod of all things <laughs> after the <laughs> game. So yeah, man, it's like, uh, you know, you're one of my buddies in this industry and I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here talking the list with you, but yeah, new list for 23. I, I really appreciate that because it's it's actually funny. I never thought about it that way. It's like every time I see you, it's it's usually associated with a really fun area and a good time like Cape Cod Lake or backfield spring training in, in South Florida. It's tough to beat both of those. And I know we'll be we'll be doing something along those lines as we line up in March and beyond. So excited to do that. Maybe we'll get our next episode will be an in-person uh, crossover here where we can do something there. But Look, I, you're one of my favorite sounding boards. Um, you know, I, I love to, to shoot you a text if I'm ever, you know, stuck on something or, or, you know, want to bounce something off of somebody that I respect. And when you guys put out a whole list, it's just time for me to bring you on and just be the sounding board for everybody else too, because 
the worst part about top 100 lists and, and the best part at the same time is like that it's it's pretty much you could you could find an issue with anything right but the whole point is this is baseball america's top 100 list you're going to get a million replies of like oh why is this person here why is this person here that's just going to come with the territory I'm going to ask you those questions as it pertains to the trends of where you previously had them, or maybe as, as it pertains to the rest of the industry, because there's a reason why you guys rank people where you rank them. And you guys do your homework. You guys are a meeting of some of the best minds in baseball and you settled on these rankings. And that's why I'm so excited to get into it because there's a lot of fun trends as we go into this new list. And again, we don't want to give away the whole list, so I'm not going to just go through every single name chronologically. We'd also be here all day with the way Jeff and I talk back and forth. But I want to start with with the obvious at the top, because, you know, I think and, and leading into this also, I would like to hear a little bit more about the process, actually. So before we get to the top, you know, how does it work? So the, the average listener may may not know, you know, what is Baseball America's process in regards to curating this top 100 list, because while, you know, it, it might just be a number and a ranking, we all know that it's a lot more than that. And we take a lot of pride in, in where these guys, you know, are slated in, in comparison to each other. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a very collaborative process. I think that's probably what defines it for me the most, even in comparison to other places that I've been and worked in, you know, I've had the experience of, creating a list entirely by myself. I've worked with a team. I've done fantasy focused prospect lists. I've done real life focused prospect lists. Um, but the process really starts in the really the middle of the season where we're collecting information. We're starting to move um, players up and down our boards as early as May. And then we sort of hit a period at the end of the year, where we do our final updates. And then we sort of dig into the off season reporting, even as the season sort of finishing up. So we're having our calls with, scouts for the organizations that we're assigned to personally i have the rockies i have the cardinals i have the blue jays and i have the astros so i'm talking to sources in and outside of those organizations it could be folks that work in the analytics department in the front office it could be um some of their area scouts as well especially when we're talking guys in the draft side because you know they're probably following some of these guys a little bit more closely especially if they haven't had uh, any professional experience and it certainly happens with a lot of college pitchers particularly in the astros side right so you yep. do have to go around there um we're talking to front office officials all over the game as well uh, i may bounce some some players off of you know uh someone internally with a different organization and say hey i'm working on this list what do you think about these guys but mm -hmm. The play, the thing that we probably focus the most on in terms of feedback for players, when a lot of our lists are based off of, are our professional scouting contacts from outside of those organizations that have coverage on those organizations. Mm -hmm. So for me, somebody from a different organization that has Blue Jays coverage or someone from a different organization that has Astros coverage uh, is someone that I want to talk to. And I want to have as many sort of varied opinions on players yeah. as possible. Um, not everybody evaluates players the same uh scouts that have the same coverage that are both very good at their jobs could have one player three in a list another guy could have that same player seven eight nine even ten on a list yeah. especially with some of these organizations where there's a lot of those like 40 45 50 great mm -hmm. players bunched up in different sort of tiers throughout uh, a ranking so we put all that together um you know we we put together our ba grades or you know our scouting grade or role grade uh, you know, the 2080 scale, of course, not many 20s ever make the list, of course. Yeah. Uh, and we put a, a risk rate on it. And the way that risk sort of works internally is we have 
a, a number that we deduct from uh, the total grade based on that risk assessment. So, you know, the 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 low risk has, you know, sort of no uh, subtraction against it because it's low risk. There's no risk there at all. Medium has a very slight uh, deduction off of that score. And then uh, a high risk has a little bit higher deduction off that score. Uh, very high has one that's sort of between that and an extreme being the highest. Um, so you'll see players that have a 60 grade and maybe rank behind somebody who is a 45 low. Uh, because that 45 low, their grade's truly a 45 to us where, you know, a 60 extreme with that deduction is pretty much the same as a 45 low. And that's sort of ranking players within those tiers. So it's why you'll so often see a higher uh, BA grade on a player with uh, a higher risk, maybe be like ranked lower than a guy that has, we'll say, a lower BA grade. So there's some of that stuff that yeah. goes into the mechanics. There's, of course, um, we release all of our top 10 lists throughout this period, like a few month period, uh, as we're working on the handbook, we finish up the top thirties, the top tens all get released. And shortly thereafter, uh, we then put out the top 100 and it's a composite to a degree of those lists. Very often, excuse me, very infrequently do we ever contradict a ranking that we have in a top 10. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty safe to say that if you look at a top 10 ranking and player X is ranked behind player Y, it's probably going to stay that way yeah. in the top 100. Um, and that's not to say that we internally don't necessarily disagree with different rankings. Um, but when we get feedback, we do the reporting, we, we trust the freelancers that we have, as well as our internal team that, you know, their reporting is good. I mean, for example, like on my Cardinals list, Matthew Liebertor is higher than Cooper Jerby and is higher than Alec Burleson and uh, he's also higher than Gordon Graceffo. Um, You know, I think I can make a case for Libertor over any of those guys. Personally, like everyone knows how much I like Cooper Jerpy, but I also have yeah. to check my emotions at the door yep. and realize I'm not a professional scout. It's not my job. And really our focus is to be reporters in the minor leagues and really what the feedback is behind the scenes and what people think. Um, and there's going to be some varied opinions there and an array of opinions on each single player. So I think that's what you kind of see. I mean, if I put out a list last week of the 15 players that just missed the top 100 list, and there were 200 players, I think in total, uh, that got at least a single vote either internally or externally on our top 100 list. So the last part of the process, cause I know I'm explaining how lengthy it is now, um, we get that top 100 list, we sort of compile it based on those grades, based on the order of rankings within these top 10s. And then we send that out uh, to front office folks, GMs, AGMs, scouting directors, player development people, et cetera. And we get sort of final feedback as to who will, you know, who we should move up, who we should move down, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd be shocked, like how open some of these folks are with us and, you know, how interesting the the opinions are because they really do vary. And then you'll see certain players like a Jackson holiday, for example, we moved him up from our, our initial ranking quite a bit because the feedback kept coming back. So overwhelmingly positive. So when we totaled up all the positive feedback, Jackson holiday had seven or eight move ups across all these different folks. That we wow. Moved to. And so then we move a player like that up. We just yeah. make sure that it stays in, you know, if we do ever go out of order from rankings, it has to be for a really good reason like that <laughs> et cetera. 
And that does happen. I mean, that's the thing that's difficult about putting out rankings and doing it in a timely manner. They're fluid. Season. Yeah, things change. Players have already been traded yeah. from the handbook, and it just went out a couple of weeks ago, and the print versions aren't even in our hand yet, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just not what happens when you do a book. It's a snapshot in time. Well, 100%. And I think that really encapsulates, you know, just – how much goes into this process and also why is a big reason why I like baseball America in terms of, of what you guys do aside from it being my favorite content and, and worth the subscription, as I will always say, as, as I have you on um, and the link is in the description of this podcast, but it's also one of the the only areas where you're going to get a little bit of a glimpse into where these guys are valued on a, on, on a major league team scale. And if we're not trying to do that, if we're not trying to rank these guys based on how teams value them, then, then what are we ranking? Right. Then it's really just like arm or Jeff's top 100 prospects. Right. And it's a little bit beyond that. It's, it's supposed to be, you know, how these guys stack up in terms of value and things like that. Last question before we get into the specific names, the thing about risk has always been difficult with me because I think you guys have it down the like the best, but it, the the future value grade is just a, a flawed concept in itself, right? There's only so, so many ways that you can really encapsulate that. You could argue that every single prospect risk is is pretty high because they're a prospect. Obviously, it's a relative rating of low to extreme. How do you guys determine that without giving it too much away? But like, how do you determine a prospect's risk being relatively low versus relatively high or medium, you know, with all of the variables that just come into even a low risk prospect, right? Even the safest of prospects still come with a ton of volatility. How do you relatively rank that? I think part of it is age for sure. Um, which is probably a cop out, but I do think that Not. inherently, like once you're in a particular bucket of age and profile, there's some risk there. Uh, I think professional experience probably has some to do with it. Uh, there's always a little bit more risk when a guy's just getting drafted or is you know, even a good college player that's only played in the Cal league, like Dalton rushing. There's probably a little, we love rushing, but there's yeah. probably a little bit more risk with Dalton yeah. rushing where communicating this off season because we have the warm and fuzzies because of what yeah. he did in low a as a college. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and you know, I think there's some of that. I think there's also um, certain attributes that are inherently risky, a pitcher with huge stuff, but some strike throwing uh, issues like, yeah, a, of course, like a Jacob Mizorowski who gets a lot of hype because he's got huge stuff from the Milwaukee Brewers. He's really risky because of the strike throwing concerns. And we've seen that go sideways. A guy like Alec Hansen, for example, the White Sox, who it never materialized, but had huge stuff and was just never able to sort of rein it in. And we've seen it go well. We've seen a Griff McGarry reach AAA in his first year after he couldn't throw any strikes with UVA. So there's there's a lot of volatility there, like you said. And then, you know, I think that um, there's other things like a guy doesn't make a lot of contact, like or Elvis Martinez is more risky than he probably even was a year ago. Now that we know there is uh, some serious contact concerns. I mean, he's a 30 hit tool guy in the handbook, yeah. 70 power. So there's big upside, but there is a lot of risk there that he's not going to make enough contact. He's not going to walk enough to offset it. And then that's sort of a non-starter if he doesn't gotcha. have supporting skills beyond just the power. Right. 100%. So I think, you know, when we look at it, we try to break it down in an individual case by case basis. Uh, but there is definitely sort of some labeling broadly in terms of certain types. Like 
a high school catcher out of the draft, man, is very risky. No matter who it is. A yeah. right-hander from the high school ranks that gets drafted in the first round is a pretty risky profile. So, yeah. Uh, and But I think we've seen teams react to that a little bit better in terms of the money that goes out to some of these guys and some of yep. these different profiles in the draft. Totally. That's offset some of that risk a little bit more than it had in previous years. At least that's how it feels. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Especially when you you can you can buck that risk a little bit or that profile when your high school catcher is a Harry Ford or something like that who has a fallback to to play center field or it'll just be a dynamic athlete. So speaking of dynamic athletes, let's start with with the number one prospect because you you guys stick with Gunnar Henderson, which of course I mean he he gave you no reason not to after what he did at the big league level after how he finished last season. Uh, but I, I do want to just ask because Corbin Carroll also showed really well. And I mean, just the speed off the charts. I mean, it's an 80 grade run tool that you guys have. We have the same thing. Um, I mean, the, the power though is something that has really continued to shine through. Uh, and, and we know that he's going to be a great defender. Both of these guys are are two of the favorites to win rookie of the year in their respective leagues. And Gunner maybe a little bit safer, uh, in terms of of the whiff down the stretch and and what we saw at the big league level, but was there any consideration for Corbin at number one, or was it kind of a, a no brainer? You guys penciled in Gunnar Henderson for number one on this list as as you got ready to, to to put out the new one. We didn't get any pushback on them at one and two. Just really no feedback whatsoever on it. Um, internally, I don't think there was a lot of push for it. Uh, I don't. I, I could see it going either way, frankly. Um, I like the up the middle profile a little bit more with Gunner. Um, I believe in the power just a tad more with Gunner, though. I'm definitely the high guy internally on Corbin Carroll's power. I think the data backs it, uh, at least what I saw in minor league data. We'll see how much of that was impacted by two of the better home hitting environments in minor league baseball in Amarillo followed by Reno and, you know, the PCL, of course, because the numbers, the averages, stuff like that went down a little bit. It's his first taste of pro ball. It's a small sample. I don't want to read into it too much. Um, I don't think that he's an average power guy. I think that it is plus power, Uh, but there was some debate internally on that. But I think that, you know, both of these guys deserve to be one and two. There's not a lot of debate. If you had Carroll one and Gunner two, no, I, I have no problems with that. Another probably this was probably a bit more of a sticky topic and and something that is is really fascinating in the prospect world now is, you know, Andrew Painter is a guy that you and I talked about last time I had you on a while ago as one of the names to watch who can fly up onto the top 100 list. And um, he's done that. And, and then some right. He's your number one pitching prospect here at, at number five on your list. But what's really fun about this is, you know, sometimes you can see through the trends in the list what the difficult conversations were potentially maybe i might be wrong but i have a feeling that there was a little bit of a conversation around how the hell you rank andrew painter grayson rodriguez and yuri perez you guys have them back to back to back and i would probably do the same thing when our update comes out or our new list comes out in a couple weeks I am still figuring out how I want to peg these three guys because this is another one where, you know, I, I do think Painter has kind of solidified himself with with the age and the command and, and all of the measurables that he has as potentially the best pitching prospect in baseball. But this is another one where, like, if anybody mixed and matched this three and randomized it, I wouldn't fault them. I, I don't think there's a wrong answer. How did you guys land on this and how much conversation was there between painter of the Phillies, Rodriguez of the Orioles and Perez of the Marlins? There was a ton. And I think we knew they were all going to be really close. 
Um, in terms of the feedback that we got back, uh, we got a lot more conviction on Painter as the top pitching prospect. There were some folks that preferred Yuri. Um, I think that there is more concern now about Grayson after last year, some of the physical issues and ailments, the injury, of course. But I think when you watch him as well, he's just not as limber as Yuri or Painter. And I got to see, I was lucky enough to see pretty much all the pitching prospects in the top 100 last year outside of Lesko and, and, and Senga. But, you know, when I watched the three of them, to me, it was Painter had the most clear cut dominant two pitch mix in terms of the fastball and the slider are in my opinion, 70 pitches. He can go to him. He can throw him for strikes situationally. He can land it all over the zone, which puts a little bit less emphasis on that third pitch. If you can command both of those pitches as well as he does. Um, but he's still got the curveball. He's still got a pretty good change up. I think we'll see more of those pitches. Um, and he's just really efficient. The thing about painter is it's, he's not always trying to blow you away. He really does a great job of controlling contact. It's very hard to barrel up and elevate the ball on him. You can hit a hard grounder on him, but more often than not, if he has a decent uh, infield behind him, they're going to make those plays. Um, that was the thing that I thought was unique about him is how efficient he was getting deep into starts. Mm -hmm. Yuri, uh, everything sort of comes out of the same release point. He's got so much like unique, and like his cutter and the slider and the curveball and then the changeup as well. It's really unique how everything comes together. There was some risk stuff, I think, with maybe the injury a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's so young. His body and and throwing that hard is so unusual. But I think when we look at what the upside is, it's just – it might be the highest of those three. I don't think that's crazy to say as – Painter's probably a little bit more polished than he is, which is kind of wacky when you consider how young Yuri was in double A. And then you have Grayson, who overall has the deepest arsenal of plus pitches, in my opinion, um, is a very good sequencer, is a very good uh, pitcher. You know, he thinks well on his feet. He sequences as well. He keeps hitters guessing. I think the big concern for me is it's just it's a it's a worse body than the other two. But that's not to say that being a big, strong guy is a deterrent. Yeah. Pitcher. There's plenty of guys who aren't great movers that have arm talent and feel and repeat their mechanics. Well, they're just not a freaky athlete who's super loose, you know, and coming back at the end of the year, like like Grayson Rodriguez did and, and looking strong had to really at least calm some of those risks, right? Or some of that concern right? where he comes back and, and looks pretty, pretty good. I went back and watched the starts of Vila was there. Uh, he looked like his old self for the most part, shaking off a little bit of rust. But the other thing with Grayson and, and you know, both of these guys, both Grayson and Yuri, I think it was, you know, obviously an injury, but a lot of precaution there with both guys that weren't going to come up at the end of the year. So might as well, you know, take it slow with them. Marlon seemed to be very adamant that it was very, very much a precaution. I think Grayson was a little bit different with that lat, but he's a guy that's had his velo go up basically as the year goes on every year before this until this season. And, you know, with this one injury, how, how much concern is there in the long-term profile? You talk about the body, but how much did that maybe hedge it with, with how he was able to come back before the end of the year? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's absolutely true. And the funny thing with Grayson is it's like, this guy has effectively been the best pitching prospect in baseball since we came out of the pandemic. Yeah. And 
he's pretty much held it because the two guys that have surpassed him weren't guys that were on the radar or in freak teenagers. Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Prior to, you know, his step up. And I think that there's a, in a perfect world, he doesn't get hurt. And he probably graduates last year and yeah. we're, we're not even talking about it. So yeah. I don't think there's a ton of risk there. I think just in comparison to the upside of painter and Yuri and the fact that they are so close mm-hmm. to the major leagues right now that, you know, if the Phillies wanted to, it wouldn't be shocking if painter starts the season in double a pitches really well in Reading for seven or eight starts gets bumped up to AAA and there's an injury in the rotation, it wouldn't shock me. Taiwan Walker goes down. I'm not wishing that on him, but let's just say it happens. It wouldn't shock me if they call it Painter. It really wouldn't. You know, um, the back end of their 40 man is shallow enough that they have the kind of, (laughs) they have the kind of depth where they can just dump somebody off and probably not worry about losing too much value there, you know? hundred percent. So he's a guy that's just, it's so unique that he could truly be a teenager in the major leagues next year, you know, it, it, it's really awesome. And, and I'm hoping that that's the case that he gets an opportunity. I don't know if it'll be because somebody goes down, which obviously you don't hope for, or you know, Bailey Falter moves to the bullpen, or, or I don't even know how they're going to fill out that rotation. I think painter will be a very immediate upgrade, even if he has some growing pains there. Um, of course, I got to ask you about the two shortstops that will forever be in tandem, probably for their entire career in terms of comparisons. And it's Jordan Lawler and it's and it's Marcelo Meyer. Meyer ahead of Lawler in, in these rankings by just a couple spots. But I, I find these guys interesting because Meyer's bat seems to be a lot more exciting. But Lawler's athleticism is is, you know, on a different level. Both should be able to stick at shortstop and be great there, but or at least very solid there. What ultimately pushed you guys to Meyer over Lawler? I think these two have always been next to each other, but actually this time with a couple players in between. And is there anything working against Lawler because of his environment? I know the batted ball data is a little bit better on Meyer. He hits the ball harder, but Lawler, you know, was able to slug because he played in some very hitter friendly environments. How did you guys compare these two? Yeah. um, You know, I think it's, it's, funny because I expected Lawler to have more power coming into pro ball. Mm -hmm. Um, And I expected, I kind of expected their, their profiles to be flip flopped a little bit. I thought mayor would have a little bit more uh, field to hit. He struck out a little bit more than I anticipated. Um, I think Lawler defensively is stronger than mayor is. I think mayor though has the better balance of explosiveness and field to hit. I think there was some, you know, there's a wrist injury, some of that stuff that sort of uh, deterred him a little bit um, in terms of the overall line, that sort of thing. But we take a look at it next year. It wouldn't shock me if Mayer, you know, um, puts up the much better offensive season than Lawler. Uh, He'll be at a lower level. uh, That's for sure. Um, But, you know, I think I think with Lawler, he does at least have sort of the home park environment going for him, which would boost things a little bit. Uh, I'm just a little bit worried about how much impact there is there. And if it's you know, if he's me, he, if he starts to look a little bit more like 2022, like Anthony Volpe, where it's really good on base percentage. It's about average kind of fringe average power, a lot of doubles, runs the bases really well. A lot of hits, a lot of walks. Like the overall offensive profile is still really exciting. It's just not explosive and loud. And I think like we sort of we're, we're sort of hoping for one of these guys from that last year's draft to turn into like 
a rod or something. Yeah. Which is, is, is a lot to, to ask. And I, I was thinking more with just what it sounds like with the Lawler profile at this point, it almost sounds like the prospects Trey Turner, right. Of like, how much power is he going to hit for? Is that going to be there? And, and ultimately maybe it comes as he's several years into his big league career, but that I, I agree looking at him. That was someone I was expecting to see better batted ball data on. When you look at 90th percentile exit views and everything like that, definitely multiple ticks below Marcelo Meyer. So to, to wrap a bow on that, topic would you just say it was the the offensive upside of Meyer that separated him from Lawler in this instance yeah I think it was I think it you know in the end it was um that offensive upside that you're going to get with Meyer that like you know there might be 30 30 home run power there and there were some GMs in the game that legitimately thought Meyer was a top three prospect like what happened for you yeah wow I was a little shocked by that one but wow um, He's got his fans in the game. It's that's for sure. It's it's the smooth way he plays. I think too that just uh, you, you could see a lot of people gravitating towards another showdown that may not be the the number one showdown for most people, but for me this was like a one that I was like, ooh, can't wait to ask about this because I think they're they're similar in the way that they can attack you. You have Brandon Fott one spot ahead of Hunter Brown. And Brandon Fott with the D-backs, Hunter Brown with the Astros. Hunter Brown doesn't have the track record, but you could also argue that Brandon Fott doesn't have the craziest track record either from, from Bellarmine uh, or Bellarmine. I saw him on the Cape too. He, he impressed me there, but I never thought he would have had this kind of yeah. you know command and pitch mix in, in his bag. Hunter Brown, I'm sure a lot of people who saw him pitch at, at you know, through college probably said the same thing uh, that they, they didn't think that they'd see this from the D two arm uh, that he is. Both of these guys are trending towards being major rotation pieces this coming season. I think Brown's going to start at the big league level. Fott will be knocking on the door. Probably first guy up the second they need somebody, if not surprising and making it, you know, and breaking camp somehow, I think he's ready. How did you compare these two guys? Because Hunter Brown showed us some, some really impressive stuff at the big league level and stuff might be slightly better, but Brandon Fott had success pitching on the moon, led, led the minor leagues and strikeouts and the ERA, like throw that in the garbage because all of, all of the whiff numbers, all of the stuff on, on Fott's entire arsenal is, is fantastic. And he's one of those rare instances where you bring him up to the big leagues and his numbers might be better because of where he's had to pitch. Uh, how did you, guys land on fought one spot ahead of hunter brown yeah, again don't get too hell-bent on you know one spot but when it's right-handed pitcher and right-handed pitcher it's always interesting to see why one guy's ahead of the other yeah um i think you know some of it was it's <laughs> it's a it's a tough discussion there because i'm trying to think back on like ultimately what the deciding factor was um he was ranked i think fought was ranked ahead of brown or we got some move back feedback on brown because there's some folks that do think he's a reliever Um, really yeah there's still some there's still some folks in front offices that think he's a reliever i think he's going to end up being in the starting rotation they're probably going to run like a six-man rotation or quidi gets moved in the next couple of weeks that wouldn't shock me um but ultimately, I think, you know, the command on fat and and this is funny, but his slider has a higher whiff rate than any of Hunter Brown's pitches. They both kind of have similar qualities of like there's good things about their fastballs, but the shape isn't crazy. Um, like neither of them has a ton of hop. Uh, 
fat just has the ability to command it and it's a it's a flatter plane than brown has because brown's a little bit more over the top um and i think when you look at fat's command of a slider like i wrote up the best sliders in the top 100 today and that's up on the site actually now i uh, do best fastballs the day before uh fought was in the top five for sliders and made the list over hunter brown and part of that was like he has like a 42, 43% chase rate on that slider. Uh, he has nearly 40% whiff rate on that slider. He gets a lot of bad contact on that slider. And he's got a 70% strike rate, which is like in yeah. line with like a plus strike rate for a fastball. So when you can throw a slider like that, that has nearly a foot of, of sweep, it's hard for a sweeper. It's like 82 to 84, 85, which among top 100 pitches, he was the only like true sweeper that was above 80 miles an hour on average, 81 miles an hour on average. And he had more than an inch than any other sweeper on average. So like that pitch is so good. Plus he's got a pretty good curveball. Plus he's got a pretty good changeup and he lands everything. He'll throw in a two seamer there as well. The command ability with fat is just so far beyond. I have few doubts that he's going to be able to successfully start for a long time in the leagues. And I don't think many people argue with that. And we sort of wanted to make sure that we were aggressive in how we ranked them. Yeah. That's, that's why, because fought, I mean, for me, it's, it's like you said, the the floor is so high uh, for, for a guy like him. And uh, I think at the very least you've got a back end of the rotation guy, but I think there's, it's really a matter of just how, how good can the rest of his stuff be to, to, to kind of dictate that ceiling but would you say Hunter Brown has has the higher ceiling, or do you think that's almost a misconception to a degree because of how good his slot Brandon Fott slider is? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's because of how good Brandon Fott's command is. I don't know if Brown's command, even though it took a huge step forward last huge year, step. absolutely is ever going to get to that point that it's you know on the level that we're we're talking about with with um, Brandon Fott. Like he gotcha. just commands the ball so well. So I think that's probably what the biggest separator is. And when we're talking about guys who have elite stuff um, and good stuff in general, and that's a big separator, being able to pitch, be able to get outs, get deep into games. And that's way more efficient than Brown is. Mm-hmm. So I think, but, but the thing is like Brown has multiple roles in which I could envision him being an all-star, whether that's as like an elite closer or elite reliever or even like a frontline starting pitcher, if it all yeah, clicks. You know? Absolutely. Kyle Harrison, uh, someone that I was very interested to see where he would land because he's very polarizing. I think, you know, left-handed pitching prospect of the San Francisco giants and he's put up video game numbers really through, through every stop of the minor leagues has been able to circumvent the walk rate by just overpowering guys with his fastball and really just racking up a ton of strikeouts. But the walks I'm sure are are a concern and I'm sure that was something that teams gave you feedback on, but again, polarizing because you might see some people that have Harrison as one of the best pitching prospects in the game. Uh, You might have some that see him a little bit more volatile. You guys have him, you know, around 38. Where where was Harrison kind of in this discussion? Because he's just behind Marco Luciano, who had had a rough year in his own right, and and now they're kind of pegged back to back here. But what keeps Marco Luciano above Kyle Harrison in this system after the year that that Luciano had, and uh, what kind of concerns are there around Harrison? Or is it really just the command? Um, you know, I would probably have Kyle Harrison higher higher myself. Um, there was some debate around that. 
I think the thing with Luciano is he still had a good year. Like you look at the numbers, they were good. The strikeout rate went down. There's still huge power. It was an age appropriate level. He was hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, had, had he played 105 games, I think the numbers would be a lot louder to people because the, the counting stats would be higher. Um, he also, if I remember like early in the season was North Wesley where it was super cold. Um, so there's some impact, I think there too, the perception still among scouts that watch them is that Luciano could turn into an all-star caliber third baseman. And I think like they're back to back and that kind of reflects to me at least. And I can tell you internally that there were some conversations about wanting Harrison to be higher than Luciano, but not necessarily wanting to go out of order there and not enough. Yeah. So what that does is that really just kind of bunches up those two players and they're kind of stuck together in a similar area. Um, but, you know, perception is funny. Luciano could come out and be great. Harrison could struggle in, in double A for a month. And then all of a sudden it looks like it made a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. And so what's the what's the is it just the command with Harrison? I think so, but there, I mean, he's 38 Yeah, <laughs> as a, as a young left-handed pitching prospect, you know, I think he's what our second highest ranked left, left yeah, just behind Tiedemann just behind Tiedemann. Both those guys could probably go even higher. Um, and a majority of the guys that are ranked ahead of him were already top 20 prospects or mm-hmm. we're sort of college right-handers that yeah. are very close to the major league. Makes sense. So, and then yeah, like Kodai I, Senga. <laughs> I would have I would have Harrison. I think when we put out my personal list, I think I have Harrison 20. So that tells you how high I am on Harrison. Gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the two outfielders that didn't quite have the years that we were hoping for, uh, but still find themselves smack in the middle of this top 100 list. But I, I think there would be a lot of people saying, hey, you know, going into last year. I'm expecting both of these guys to be top 30 prospects by the time this, this, the year's over. But with what they did, it's just impossible to force them up there. Uh, you got Zach Veen with the Colorado Rockies, and you've got Robert Hassel, who was a big part of that that trade package for Juan Soto heading over to the Nationals. Obviously, a lot for Hassel to deal with during the season. And he was struggling a little bit in his own regard there. Both guys you know, just, just struggled to... A, get acclimated to the more advanced level Veen with the whiffs uh, Hassel, which is not, not the, the best quality of contact and a little bit more whiff than you'd expect for a guy that projects as a plus hit tool. Uh, how concerned, I mean, obviously the rankings don't reflect concern. This is more just, you know, me talking to you about these guys, how concerned are you about Hassel and Veen? They're young. They still are extremely talented, but you know, after what happened last year with both of these guys and their struggles, where, where do you stand currently? I'm less concerned with Veen um, than I am with Hassel. Uh, it's it's similar issues where there's there's power concerns for me with both. Um, some things mechanically with Veen's swing. I think physically with Hassel, he needs to get stronger. There's maybe some bat speed issues as well. Don't worry about that as much with Veen. I think it's the fact that he gets so deep into his back hip and his back leg that at times I think he sort of leads uh, a, a little bit of sort of power from his lower half out um, a little bit of sort of drive. I think that's all stuff that can be improved. He's a really polished player, just like Hassel is where they both get on base. They both make contact. Um, they both are pretty good base runners, though. I'd say Veen might actually be 
not as fast in a straight line sense, but might be a better base dealer. He's a really good instinctual base dealer. Both pretty good outfielders. Hassel's a little bit more of a center fielder. I believe in Veen's physicality more. Um, he's a bigger guy. I think he'll add strength without losing and sapping a lot of athleticism. And then I think he looks sort of at Hassel where it's like, I could see a scenario where he doesn't really get that much stronger and is really just like a good contact hitter that can play center field, run a little bit, get on base, but sort of lacks that true impact um, that you're sort of hoping for. Um, If that strength comes without sacrificing the bat to ball skills and the approach, look out because that's a guy that could take off. Um, but we've seen this go different ways. I think we sort of, sort of, sort of go the opposite way with Louis Matos last year, where yeah. he was a guy, a lot of us were like, this guy is going to go up list. He's going to get blah, blah, blah. He's going to add power. He's going to add strength. We can see it. And then it sort of went the opposite direction. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't think it's going to happen with Hassel's a little bit further along, but let's see what happens. Austin Martin, another guy, Hey, he's got great tools, blah, 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 blah. Probably not as good, not as good defensively in the outfield, certainly as Hassel, but approach wise contact track record the power never came so i'm a little bit skeptical with some of those guys um i think veen because it's a mechanical issue versus a physical issue i think it's fixable uh, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that both bounce back because those are two of my my favorite prospects to watch two really exciting guys that could be forces in the outfield for their respective organizations and both organizations could really use them uh, and need them to pan out uh, given where they're at with with you know their big league team and, and some of the organizational depth or lack there. So of, of those teams, Dodgers have a stack here uh, that I think is interesting. And again, it's splitting hairs, but it's fun. Ryan Pepiot is ahead of Gavin Stone. And Pepiot, I do think, has suffered from prospect fatigue because that was a dive. We just put out our Dodgers top prospect list. Uh, Pepiot doing that dive, watching his starts, realizing you know what, what kind of stuff he has. Obviously, the command is, is an issue, but there's a there's a legitimate three three pitch mix here that is is just good enough to to be a starter. Uh, I think a lot of people have have soured on him off of a couple blow up outings and and the lack of command. And, and I understand that concern, but that change up is 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 freak level and the fastball shape is great. Gavin Stone put up video game numbers, right? And 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 what he did to only give up what was it three home runs in in two very very hitter friendly environments last year, and to just put up. The, the, the minuscule ERA that he did was pretty remarkable. Uh, obviously, doesn't have the track record of, of some of these other guys, but Stone is, is a name that really forced his way up the list with his performance last year, and the stuff is pretty darn good. The command is good. What landed Pepe out just ahead of Stone, or is this another one of those where it just wasn't quite enough to, to push him above? Um, this was the ranking that internally I probably argued with the most, like even as we were doing the Dodgers list, I wanted stone like three in the list. I, I want him right behind Bobby Miller. Um, we had some, some conversations about moving him down. The thing is like internally with the Dodgers, the feedback we kept getting was that they value Pepio a little bit more than stone. I don't know if I fully get that. Um, but it seems like, you know, I've heard that even from people outside of our own reporting, too. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those where, like, this is probably the one part of the list where, like, I personally really stumped. I mean, you could see Stone's 21 on my personal list. Yeah. <laughs> I really stumped for Stone to be a little bit um, 
a little bit a little bit higher on the list. And, yeah. and I would have had him higher on the doctor's list too. But that's not to mean say that it's wrong. Um no, it's, know, I, I do it's think on the other practice. side of it. Yeah. The other side of it is, you know, when you're getting that sort of strong feedback from the Dodgers and it's contacts that you trust and have gotten good information from before, even if it's flown in the face of what they think in the public space, um, you got to go with it, you know, hundred yeah, personally, I love stone. Um, I have a video coming out in the next couple of days on YouTube where Carlos and I break down why I like stone so much. Um, kind of tell you, he, he remade his slider last July. So he was throwing a little bit more of like a gyro slider in the mid eighties, started to rework it throughout the month of July until late July. It finally came into full form and he started throwing a sweeper with like nine to 10 inches of sweep, a lot flatter, more of a Frisbee style pitch, still keeping that same high velocity on it, which is a great combination. Um, had he had a little bit more experience with this pitch other than the final two months, I might've even pushed it into the best sliders in the top 100. Wow. It's a really unique pitch. It was really effective for him. And it's crazy to think that he won the minor league ERA title yeah. while he was making his breaking ball in the middle of the season in the Texas league and then following it up in the PCL. So put all that in perspective, I think it's crazy. I think the pitch ability is higher than it is with, with Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller just happens to have the best pure stuff in the minor leagues probably. So probably the one that, that you got the most, uh, the, the Baseball America probably just got the most angry mob fans of of a team is probably the Reds, right? With with Noel V. Marte, uh, which is a guy that I oh. I agree with where you guys are at. I also have a lot of Reds people uh, that like we're connected with on our staff, so I'll see a little bit more Reds content. Um, but I know Reds fans are like, oh, this guy's a top 30 prospect, blah, blah, blah. I have him dropping like I, I didn't love what I saw from him in the Arizona Fall League. I've always had my concerns about, you know, how much he likes to pull the baseball. My concerns about his defense. Uh, it, there's just a lot on the bat to ball skills, which are pretty good. And obviously the power is pretty good, but it's it's just a very bat heavy profile. And and there's some flaws to, to his approach, in my opinion. But you you guys dropped him pretty far right to, to 63. I don't remember where he was previously, but I can, I can attest that it, it was probably a lot higher than that. This is a guy that I'm, I'm trying to figure out as we do our update, how far I'm going to drop him. I already dropped him a little bit. He's like in the outside of the top 30 for us. And that he was, he was higher than that. How, how loud are their concerns? And again, it's he's 63 in a top 100 list. So he's still really good. And baseball yeah. America still thinks he's very good. So can we please make that very clear? Like just because he's lower on the top 100 list doesn't mean baseball America thinks he sucks. If he's off the top 100 list, no. then we think he he's not a top 100 prospect, but that's clearly not the case. That said, it's all relative and it's all fun. What were the concerns that maybe drove Marte down a little bit? I think there's some approach concerns. I think some of it, a lot of it's the swing. Um, not even being pull heavy as much as his pull side contact is heavily ground balls. Yeah. He rolls over a majority of his contact that way. His best contact is still sort of middle oppo. Um, it's not a bad speed thing. I think it's a swing thing. I think it's adjustments he has to make. I think he's another guy that really doesn't use his lower half very well at all. Mm -hmm. uh, he's moving down the defensive spectrum. I think there's no questions. He's a, a third baseman and not a shortstop any longer. We may even have him listed as such. Um, and, you know, those were things that I saw in the Arizona Fall League. And when I chatted with JJ about it and we chatted with scouts about it, they kind of backed that up where it's like, good player, there's contact, there is some approach here. There's a lot of tools, a lot of skills. There's some things that need to get cleaned up and worked right through. I, 
I don't think he's that different. This is a funny name to throw out there because he was like a number one prospect. Like he's not that different from Yohan Moncada. Like there's, there's still things in Yohan Moncada's game. Where you're like, he could be so good if he did this. Right. And all the tools are there. He looks great in the uniform. Um, physically he'll do things that, you know, just absolutely shock you. And he looks like he should be a free safety playing, you know, in the <laughs> AFC championship next weekend. Like that's kind of what his physical physical build looks like. He doesn't get into all of his power. And I, you know, I think that he eventually he will, but we're sort of offsetting the risk a little bit here, the move down the defensive spectrum and the fact that there is some work to do still, like he's not ready-made as yet. What I well, love to see. Oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. Of course. And what, what I love to see from you guys is, is sticking with Logan Allen because I, I'm a big Logan Allen fan. And, and a lot of people were concerned about his his triple A struggles. It, you know, and this is Guardians left handed pitching prospect. Allen just talk about pitchability, uh, sneaky fastball shape, built in deception with that little inward twist. And, and splitter is really good. Like the stuff overall is, is is better than I think he gets credit for. But he goes to triple A and the ball starts flying a little bit more. And, and I, I wonder if he just didn't trust his stuff because this is a guy that's never walked anybody. And all of a sudden he's walking, you know, more than four per nine. Clearly, you guys are are not too worried about the fifty nine and two thirds innings showing in triple A. Uh what really inspired you guys to stick with Logan Allen? And, and I love this here because this is a guy that I, I really think has a, a high floor as a big league starter and a lefty that just, just knows how to pitch and is a great athlete. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit higher on Logan Allen than other people are. Uh, I love the fastball shape, low launch angle. Uh, part of that is his height. It's a really good slider too. Like he gets a ton of whiffs on the slider. He was considered for the, the top, 100 best lives in the top 100 stuff wise. He doesn't grade out like on stuff plus plus models as much more than above average. It's like a 105, 106, 107 sort of score, which is fine. It's just not like the elite of the elite. Right. Um, but his performance like is right up there with those guys. Um, it's, it's pretty tremendous. Like um, just how much he does with like a five, nine build. I mean, cause he's tiny, right? Like even his listed height, I don't know what it is. He's probably five. He's five foot nine. I've seen him sat next to him, six feet. I'm not that tall. Um, and his pitch ability command, the way he sort of works that splitter, he's got a changeup variation of it too. He's kind of got two changeup shapes. Um, the fastball, the slider who work in the curveball, the pitch ability is off the charts. And find a way to get out, right? Like that's that's yeah, the way that's what he does. Yeah, and and so the AAA, you think it was just a little bit of just not trusting the stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think that was a big part of it. Was it was just, I you know, I think it was AAA too. AAA is so weird. Like the things that happen in AAA don't make sense. There's guys that go to AAA and you know hit better than they ever have in their entire careers, and they go mm-hmm. to the major and hit pitchers that get blown up like Josh Hader and they come to the major leagues and they get so many outs. Like It really doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? So yeah, no, it, it's a weird meeting of like the, the, the true prospects and maybe like the journeyman and, and those journeymen yeah. can, can still take the lunch from the much more talented prospects just based on sheer experience. And uh, so it's always interesting to see how, how the triple a uh, situation matches up with some of these top prospects getting to the back end of the top 100. One of the last questions I'll ask you here. You got some names here that I'm really excited to watch this year. 
Austin Wells of the Yankees, who I'm, I want to hear a little bit about the defensive home there. And then Joey Ortiz of the Orioles. So two, two AL East prospects. Ortiz, I'm I'm sure is a guy that you got a lot of feedback from on the Orioles side of things. Cause I, I get the sense that the organization loves him. How can't you with the way he finished and with the glove that he has at the shortstop position, um, the, his finish to the year, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was, it was near 1000 OPS type stuff with 50 yeah. plus games of a sample size with the defense, with the makeup, with all that stuff. Austin Wells is, is a bit polarizing, right? We see some that, you know, don't have him sniffing the top 100 list. And then we have some that like very credible list that have him in there. I think the bat is for real. I, I watched this guy hit three home runs and a, and a double header on the Cape. Uh, albeit in a hitter friendly environment, but they none of them were cheap. Yep. I also watched him in that same game or in that same double header, miss a fly ball in the outfield as they threw him out there to try to learn. There's questions about catching. I haven't really done the, the video dive on Wells yet in terms of the catching recently. We'll start with him. Obviously, in the top 100, it's either a a big belief in the bat, which is enough to to put him in the top 100, or hope that he can land defensively somewhere else and be good enough or carry his weight as a catcher. What was it that put Wells onto the top 100 list? Was it the bat or maybe the the defense not being as miserable as it was? Yeah, it's the bat, and he made improvements on the the, the defensive side. And I think that's something that's kind of maybe getting lost on people a little bit. Um, You know... Outside of uh, the issue that he had taking one off of the cup and having to have subsequent surgery, uh, he had a really good year back there. The framing metrics are better. The throwing is better than people thought. He's pretty athletic, so he can play some different positions potentially. Offensively, he's he's good. I mean, there's you know there's some catchers that are in front of him, um, but he's one of the more exciting offensive catchers in all of baseball. And I think that that's that's a big reason for it. You know. Love that. And then Ortiz, you know, what, what are you hearing there? I, again, that's a guy that I get the sense the Orioles got to love him. Um, yeah, you know, uh, hold on a second. Um, definitely. You know, I think, um, when you talk about, uh, guys who added power and strength over the pandemic, I think that he's probably the guy that comes like foremost to mind for me gained 20, 25 pounds of muscle over that period and really started to hit for some power prior to his injury last year at a shoulder injury. If I remember correctly, comes back this year, he's recovering still from that injury. And if you watch and break his year down by the first half and the second half, his like average um, exit velocity his 90th percentile exit velocity, et cetera, all his hard hit rate, all of that stuff really made a big jump in the second half as yeah. he was fully healthy. That's when he really started to transcend his offensive game. We saw the production that followed, and he's always been an above average to plus defender, defender. in that position. So, you know, when you get all that sort of in a mix, I mean, it's more exciting than that. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I, and, and that's a profile that we talked about risk before, like, that's a safer profile, right? Great defender who's adding power and has a pretty good feel to hit. Like I'll, I'll bet on yeah. that profile. Uh, rounding it out here is, is a couple recently drafted guys that, you know, I, I honestly don't know where, where they stand for me. And I'm, I'm excited to find out a little bit more, but you got Jet Williams at 98 and Cole Young at 99. Jet Williams, recent draft pick of the Mets. Cole Young, recent draft pick of the Mariners. Obviously everything that, that, we're really going to be able to to utilize in terms of information on these guys is 
what what we had draft wise and then maybe a little bit of of what you can get from teams what what were you guys able to get on those two you know young shortstops to to put them in the back half or the back end of this top 100 list uh given that you know we don't have much outside of of baseball america sources yeah i think when you look at the athleticism um the makeup of those kids in particular um the organizations they've been in and how they've done pretty well and bringing in young players from the prep side and kind of turning them into something we can look, you know, at Edwin Arroyo last year with the Mariners. Um, and there's a bunch with, <laughs> with the Mets, they just maybe don't materialize, but you know, you've, you've seen a guy like Pete Crow Armstrong come into that organization as a prep player and really develop. Um, Brett Beatty was a guy that came as a prep player and really developed. Um, you don't really have too many guys from last year's the, the 2021 class to include because of how things kind of shook out there. But they've done a good job there. They have good resources. They have good development. Jet Williams is a freak athlete. He's way more explosive than people realize. I think he's going to stick at shortstop, even though he's five foot eight. And if not, he's going to be a really good defensive second baseman. I think the power will come. There's plus hit there. There's bat speed. There's barrel control. And there's easy plus speed and instincts. I think he's a guy that's just going to get the most out of his profile. Like when we put that 40 hit power grade on him, that's very much right now. I, this isn't Nick Madrigal. This is a yeah. guy that can get the ball in the air and, you know, turn into somebody who's a spark plug. Like, you know, I, I think like in my mind, I'm thinking a little bit more power on like a Tommy Edmund or something, a guy that can play a bunch of different positions who does a bunch of things really, really well in a baseball field is a really smart, intuitive hitter but maybe has a little bit more explosive pop than that. He's, I love him. You know, Cole Young, sort of the same thing. Cole Young also got some help from Bryce Miller and the fact that we needed to get Bryce Miller on the list. That was going to be my last question. And Miller rounds it out at a hundred. So you, you had to have Cole Young in there because you had to have Bryce Miller in there. Yes. They're 99 and a hundred. Um, young, young is, is a nice little grab for them in the draft, the Mariners there and, and the way they were able to do things. And, and Miller has to be one of the bigger helium arms. I know you love Bryce Miller. I know you probably weren't, weren't going to uh, rest until they put him in the list there because you've been yes. on Bryce Miller as long as anybody. That's what we'll wrap it up with before you, you plug your work is this is kind of plugging your work because you, you've, you've written about Bryce Miller. I've read a lot fr from you on him. Talk about one of the best fastballs in the minor leagues, right? I mean, in terms of, of, sheer sheer shape uh the data on it is incredible and then of course it, he throws it hard too um how how excited are you to see bryce miller continue to pitch the way you thought he would for a while and um i think you guys might be the first to really put him on a top 100 list at all yeah man um i think it's one of the best fast fastballs in the minor leagues it's number two behind gavin williams who just had a tremendous year with this fastball on the best fastballs article i put out um it's low launch it's power it's hop and shape um command he misses a ton of bats with it uh he's showing the slider sweeper slider that's pretty good um shows shows the curveball shows the change up you know i still think there's some relief risk but he's yeah. took such a giant step forward in terms of you know his future as a starter last year and you know i tend to fall in love with guys that have fastballs like this so it's kind of why he is where he is. <laughs> Any, are you taking him or Matt Brash right now? Oh, I'm taking him all day. Yeah. Okay. I like Matt Brash, but give me that fastball. Give me a sweeper that you can, you can command, you know, mm -hmm. it has just enough, 
it's it's a sweeper, but it's not like 16, 17 inches. Yeah. It's like 11 or 12. You can land that. You can, you can uh, backdoor that. Um, totally. You know, that's something that you can throw in the zone and get bad contact on too. So, I mean, dude, we just went through a lot of the list. Obviously didn't want to give up the whole thing. So if you want to check out that list, link is in the description. Jeff, it's more than just a top 100 list. I always say that with Baseball America. You guys are putting out unbelievable content all the time. Uh, specifically now, content driven around the top 100 list, like the best pitches you were talking about from the top 100, which just makes it so much more it, more fun to digest the list when you have the context of these are the standout tools or pitches or whatever it is for each of these players that are yes. ranked in this list. Any specific work you want to plug that you already you know recently put out or that you have coming out and, and where can the people follow you? Yeah. Um, have the best pitches coming out all throughout the week. Curveballs comes out on Wednesday, uh, changeups on Thursday and Friday will be the best pitch mixes. The other thing that I wanted to, to mention here is, we, I'm really, really excited. We brought in Dylan White. Um, yeah. He's been, you know, out there in the fantasy space, a few different places. Um, does an incredible job with models, you know, analytics. He had the RoboScout tool over on Prospects Live. Um, I'm excited to work with him and, and you know, uh, throw a little bit, throw a little bit more into his stew, we'll say, in terms of some information that I have access to, et cetera. And, see what we spit out. We've already worked on um, a BA stuff plus model that we're starting to roll out in these best pitch articles. There'll be some more stuff like that. We've applied it to some NCAA guys, but we're going to be running on a ton of fantasy content. That's totally actionable. We're going to have a first year player draft list that goes up to a hundred um, that me, Carlos, Matt, Eddie, Dylan helped a little bit, but uh, he just joined on the day before. So just kind of don't do this. Don't do that kind of stuff. Uh <laughs> And Ben Badler did all the all the write ups and ranking uh, awesome. versus the high the high school and college class for all the international guys, which is certainly um, a very unique uh, sort of ace in the hole that we have there. And then uh, we have a top 100 fantasy prospects. I believe it's going to come out on Friday. Oh, uh, great! So we're going to have a lot of fantasy stuff coming out. We're going to start doing redraft rankings, dynasty rankings. We're going to go by positions: catcher, first base, second base, shortstop, third base, outfield pitchers. And then right before that, we're going to have a big event. We're going to be doing, uh, I'm not going to scoop myself here yet, but something toward the end of the month of February that I think is going to be uh, worth checking out. So kind of expanding our offerings. And I think for the first time, we've always been fantasy and dynasty adjacent, really making a concerted effort to speak to that community, put out work in that space. And I think people forget that's where I came from. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, if I'm going to be obnoxious for a second, I'm kind of the godfather of a lot of this dynasty content. a lot of stuff that I started doing the first year player draft list. That name came from my home dynasty league SSDL, where we did this, this draft every year. And I wanted to put out a list that <laughs> reflected what I research. I was doing every year because we drafted five or six rounds with 18 teams and a, like a hundred players got drafted sometimes more. So, um, you know, that was a big thing for me. And then of course, you know, ranking prospects for fantasy and dynasty was something that you know, I was doing back in 2015 with Rasball. So it's kind of funny to come full circle now that I have this job, I do it full time. And then I'm allowed, I'm allowed and been given access to, to, um, build something at baseball America that kind of speaks to that and the roots of like where I came from. So it's really fun. Dylan's work is much better than mine was in the fantasy side, but, yeah. uh, data-driven stuff. I think that's a big 
step forward for us at Baseball America and something that we've kind of been working toward over the last two handbook processes as I've been here. So I'm really excited about Dylan being on on board and, you know, check for his content. If you're into fantasy, it's definitely worth subscribing. If you don't subscribe already to Baseball America, because we're going to have a lot of stuff that's focused toward you, plus coverage on every other area of the game that I think is uh, pretty much unmatched or among the elite. <laughs> I, I, you know, I agree with that. And I think the crossover into fantasy is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, with, with the way we're covering fantasy, I'm, I'm looking forward to potentially uh, crossing over on that end of things too. And, and talking fantasy rankings on uh, with our guys, because it really is a, a fun layer when you can add the dynasty, the prospect analysis into, into fantasy as well. And uh, I, I don't know if there's anything quite like, uh, dynasty baseball because it's it's the closest thing you can start to feel is to being a GM and and making those moves and and having exactly. fun with it. So I'm excited to see Baseball America covering it further for those who you know maybe a little bit intimidated by getting into dynasty and and this could be a really good guide and usher into that. So Jeff, always appreciate your time, man. Always appreciate your work. Everybody, the link is in the podcast description to go check that out and check out everything that Jeff has, especially his Twitter as well. Until next time, Jeff, it was great having you on. Thank you so much for the time, man. And hopefully next time I see you, it'll be at another beautiful destination. Hopefully it's in a ballpark, man. I can't (laughs) wait to get back. I'm dying here. Massachusetts looking at the snow. (laughs) Looking forward to it, man. Thanks so much. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.